I made a mistake that was uh, not good. Um, this time last week, I shared with you all an illustration. I shared with you a, a something out of an article that the uh, NAM put out in a magazine they called On Mission. Um, what I said to you all was that um, 80% of the pastors did not feel like we should assist illegal immigrants. 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 Whew, let me talk clearly. Okay. Um, uh, I inverted those numbers. Okay. So the reality of that, and all of y'all are saying, thank God, right? So I inverted those numbers. So the reality is that 20% of the pastors did not think we should ever assist anybody that was illegal in that way. Um, for me, that number's still too high. And, and, and let me clarify what I mean by that. Uh, what I mean by that concerning the gospel, assist is a word that's difficult. What does that really mean? But this is what I know is that we will hand somebody a bologna sandwich way all, more often than we will tell them about Jesus. Okay? So if you're not willing to assist them in any way, you're probably not willing to share the gospel with them. And um, when we say that I can't share the gospel with somebody because of a certain status that they have, we've drawn a line in the, si in the sand that Jesus never drew. Okay? The gospel is for everybody in every place, no matter what the situation is. And it's amazing how quickly we forget that we were in bad shape when Jesus came to us when he saved us amen so I wanted to get that right okay I can never get it right because the identical people that was here this week are not here well not we're not here last week but I'm trying and we put a disclaimer on the Facebook the Facebook page <laughs> you can tell I don't have it right <laughs> Josh is so embarrassed by his pastor right now. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get into the book of Jude. We have been traveling uh, through the, we, we, we did the Gospel of John, then we've been, we hit 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We're going to hit Jude. Jude is right before the book of Revelation. Jude writes this letter to those who are called and calls for those who are called to contend earnestly for the faith. That's why he wrote this letter. Today, this is what we're going to do. This is a road map. We're going to look at six different ways to contend for the faith. We're going to look at past history. We're going to look at past false teachers we're going to look at the character of present teachers and then we're going to look at our own life building our own faith thinking about compassion for others and then we're going to finish with what i think is my favorite part that looking to him who is able to keep you he is able to keep you so <clears throat> we're going to go through that and today i hope that we leave here with greater conviction than we had when we come in about the importance of truth. I hope when we leave here that we've got a greater understanding of how dangerous false teaching 
is. And I hope that we leave here, lastly, trusting the ability of God in our life to keep us. We've been looking at a lot of stuff through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And sometimes we it gets so heavy that we think about this stuff is really reliant on me. But the reality is, is that to him who is able to keep us from stumbling. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, but he was not a believer until after the resurrection. Okay? The writer of this book was the half-brother of Jesus, but he was not a believer until after the resurrection. Jesus' brothers were not believers until after the resurrection. But after becoming a believer, he does not refer to himself as the brother of Jesus. I thought it was interesting in that it would have felt like to me that maybe his book would have had more weight if he had said, I grew up in the same house with him. Me and him are close. And this is what I'm telling you is the truth. But he doesn't do that. He calls himself the bondservant of his brother. A bondservant is what? A bondservant is a slave who could go free but chooses to stay. So he says, this is what I am to Jesus. He wanted to write, as you'll look, he said, Behold, while I was very diligent, in verse 3, to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. He wanted to write about the salvation that we have together, but found it more necessary to write to, to them to contend earnestly for the faith. Now let's look at the six things that he does. Starting in verse number 5. Uh, let's read for 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at what he does first. What he does first in taking a contend for our faith, to looking at how do we contend for our faith, the first thing he does is he wants us to look back at history. Sometimes we need to look back at history to see just exactly... Where we went wrong, where we went right, hindsight's twenty twenty. Sometimes we need to look back and see how it affected us. He looks back in three different ways. Look at what he says. He said, but I want to remind you, though, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jude is saying, Let's, I want you to contend for the faith, but I want to give you some examples. I want you to feel the weight of this. He said, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, but then destroyed them in the, in the wilderness because they did not believe. 
They come out. They were coming out in the right way. But there come a time when they were going to go to the promised land and they were headed to the promised land and chose and voted, literally voted, not to go. And God said, if you don't want to go into the promised land, you want to stay here, you want to be this, then you're just going to die here. And they died in the wilderness. Except for the new generation in Joshua and Caleb. Look, look at the next one that he gives. He gives three. Verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. He said not only was there a chosen people that come out that I destroyed in the wilderness, I killed them because of their unbelief. He said, but I'm telling you that there were angels in heaven that left, did not keep their proper place, did not stay where they needed to stay, and they're reserved in judgment today. And then... Number three, he gives us in verse number seven, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So what is he saying? He's saying, Jude is saying, guys, I need to remind you all that God doesn't take lightly to false teaching. I need to remind you that all throughout the history there have been angels who wanted to lead out a different way than I intended them to lead out. There have been leaders that led out in a different way than I intended them to lead out. And there have been cities that have led out in a way that have been different than I intended. And all of them faced judgment. So he wants to say this to us this morning. False teaching leads to false converts, which leads to eternal judgment. I think this is tough for us today. Why? If, you, if you've watched, if you're watching, if you're thinking about our nation and you're watching our nation over the years, the reality is, you know, we talk about being a Christian nation. We're no, you know that we're no longer a Christian nation. But we've moved into this phase that they call post-Christian nation. And the reality is, is many of those who have their finger on the pulse of it feel like we're becoming very quickly an anti-Christian nation. You see, the, the reality is, guys, is I, I believe this on my heart. Jude is saying, I, I'm, I'm asking you to contend for the faith because when we don't contend for the faith, we're going to create false teachers, false converts, and the end is going to be judgment for all. But the reality is this, is it's not easy to contend for the faith, is it? Because our culture right now and the, where we live celebrate people who are accepting of everything. 
So if we, uh, if we want to contend for the truth, we want to contend for the faith that we keep it exclusive to Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, are you saved? And that is it. More and more as we hold on to that message, as we preach that message, more and more we are going to be less accepted by the culture that we live in. Dr. Ron Herod, he's in heaven today. But Dr. Ron challenged me before he went to heaven. He said, and he's the one that got me started going to India. He said, you need to prepare yourself and you need to prepare your children that they're willing to stand for the truth when they, even when they have to stand alone. And I think he's very right. The good news is, don't be down. The good news is, is everywhere that the church is persecuted, it flourishes. It grows at an unreal rate when it becomes real and worth the persecution. But let's continue on. We should not only look at the past, our history, but we should also look at false teachers. Look at verse number 11 with me. Verse number 11 said, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now look at these three men. He's given us three examples of history. Now he gives us three examples of these false teachers. And we can look at them. What do we see about Cain? We see that Cain was what? He was a, the Bible says that he was a murderer from the beginning. And that he murdered his brother because his brother was righteous and he was evil. My small group on Sunday mornings, we've been memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting really when you think about memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, when you think about when it says that they are persecuted for righteousness sake or they are persecuted for my sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But that they're going to be persecuted, right? Righteous will be persecuted. The evil will persecute those who are righteous. This was Cain. Balaam was what? Who for profit would say whatever people wanted to hear. He was greedy. But it doesn't always have to be money. Would you think about this? I think this is where we're headed in our culture. See, in a sense, in the reality, I want you to think about this. I think the church in America created something that wasn't healthy at one time because it became popular in America to go to church. And we created false converts. Now what I think is, I think it's becoming unpopular in America to go to church. And you're going to be labeled and listed as a person and, and people are going to say you're one of those. You're that guy. You're that girl. You're that person. Right? So Cain was a mother of Balaam. So I want you to think about Balaam. It's not only greedy for money, but it's also greedy for approval. It's greedy for acceptance. 
Oh, I must say what causes that person to smile, or I must not say what causes that person to frown. Because I'm greedy for approval. I'm greedy for acceptance. That was Balaam. What about Korah? Korah was the one that led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, who God, who God had appointed as leaders over Israel. And Korah and all that was around him suffered the judgment of God. All three of these men, you know what he's dealing with? I want you to think about this. He dealt with the angels. He dealt with Solomon and Gomorrah. He dealt with the disobedience of the children of Israel. But here when he deals with these men, do you notice something? It's about their character. They're murderers and greedy and rebellious. All of them lost what they had trying to get what they wanted. False teachers can be seen as murdering people with words, literally because of false conversion. Greedy with their money and their relationships and rebellious against the truth. Always in their life is manipulation to get their way. It's an issue of their character. Look at their character. What is the falseness here? Number three, we should evaluate the character of present teachers. I just want to quickly, Jude in verses 4, 8, 10, 16, 18, and 19. He, he, just, he just calls them these things. He says this is what their character looks like. It's ungodly. It's morally perverted. They deny Christ. They defile the flesh. They're rebellious. They revile holy angels. They're dreamers. They're ignorant. They're corrupted. They're grumblers. They're fault finders. They're self-seeking. They're arrogant speakers. They're flatterers. Mockers. Cause division. Worldly minded and without the spirit. You realize what, he, what he's saying about those guys? These guys have a character issue. You know, something that's been pointed out to me, and we've got to get a hold back in the church concerning this, and it really is true, isn't it? That in the church in America, in everything in America, in corporate world in America, we take ability or competence over character every day. We would, we would rather choose a preacher who's gifted than a preacher who has character. We'd rather choose a CEO who's gifted than a CEO who has character. Choose leaders every day with ability over character. But you realize that when God speaks about pastors, and 
I'm just going to sow this seed. Sometimes I, I want to teach on this. But when he deals in 1 Timothy about the qualifications of a pastor, the qualifications of a deacon, do you realize that all of those qualifications have to do with that man's character? The only one that would have to do with his ability, with his gifting, is where it says that he is apt to teach. He's able to teach. But every other one is about his character. Are we looking at character? Hmm. Let's move on. I want to move off of this now to number four, which is we should build our own faith. We should build up our own faith. Will you look at verse 20? Verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. It's not much different than what 2 Peter 1.5 said. Peter said, Add to your faith these things. 2 Peter 1.5. So, so what is he saying? He's saying, man, our faith needs to be growing. If we're going to contend, if we're going to contend for our faith, then we're going to have to be growing our faith. If we're going to contend our faith, we need to look to the past. If we're going to contend our faith, we're going to have to look at the character of the people that we're listening to. If we're going to have to contend with our faith, we're going to have to build our faith. Spend some time on our faith. He gives us some things here to do. Look at what he says. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. May we pray according to God's will. May we pray according, in Jesus' name, according to His reputation, according to what He would pray. May we really, may we ask God, God, not my will, but yours be done. May we really just pray. Instead of using God as a genie in a bottle. Most of the time, you know when we pray, when our comfort's interrupted. God, that makes me uncomfortable. I need you to restore that. Some of the guys in small group this morning, they made this statement. That God's more concerned about your character than He is your comfort. God's more concerned about your person than He is your giftedness. God's more concerned about your being than He is your doing. It's this character. Build up your faith, praying in Him. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Watch this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Know that He loves you. That He loved you when you were not living for Him. That He loved you first and has proven that love for you. Look at this next part because I want to tie these together. And, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So He said we're going to be praying. We need to be praying for God's will in our life. We need to be praying and seeking Him. The next thing is we're building our faith. The next thing is He says we're, we're keep yourself in His love and look for His mercy. Now I want you to think about this. If it wasn't for His mercy, each and every one of us wouldn't be able to enjoy this air condition. And in this building today, each and every one of us would be in hell today. But it's because of His mercy that we're not. 
Okay? Because of His love, we have His mercy that is paid for. Listen, you realize that that's what we do when we come to the table for communion? Each and every week we walk to this table for communion. We take that juice. We take that bread. Why? Because we're remaining in the love of God. We're recognizing that, God, you loved us and you done this for us. And we're not only that, but we're saying, man, by mercy, I get to do this. Not because I deserve it. Not because I earned it, but because of your mercy, God. I'm standing here today and we come and we celebrate his love and his mercy every day, every day. Weak, soft as you come. Man, we're building up our faith. Look, at not only so that's a focus on ourselves, and then look at verses 22 and 23. It's a care for others. See, there is a focus on ourselves because if we don't feed ourselves, we can't feed others. If we don't fill ourselves, we can't empty out with others. Then look at verses 22 and 23. And on some have compassion, making distinction. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about false converts. He's talking about false teaching. He's talking about people that have gotten in the wrong teaching. And he's saying, man, let there be some compassion. Use some discernment, but try to pull them back out of that. It's sneaky. It's sneaky. But look at verse 23. But others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. He said, some, we need to get serious about rescuing. They're not just slipping off the edge, man. They are falling, and somebody needs to catch them. We need to get serious about that. We need to think about others and how the teacher's doing, because the reality is what we can do, now you stay with me, what we can do is we can say, oh, they're going to believe whatever they want to believe and who really cares? As a matter of fact, if I say anything, I'm just going to make a mess. That's not how you'd parent your child. Would you parent your child that way? Oh, if I say anything to them, I'm just going to make a mess. You wouldn't parent your child that way, would you? It's going to start up. I need to call out. Number six is this. And I'm on time and coming to a close. Number six is trust him who is able. You should trust him who is able. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you. From stumbling. I think point six is the point I want to dwell on in my closing. Because as we finish the letters of John and Jude, you may ask, why do you think this part right here is so important? Because I, I feel like over the past few weeks, we've been doing some real soul searching, some real self-examining. Because John's called us to answer some hard questions about ourselves, to really look at ourselves. And then Jude has done the same. And we've been heavy with this, I think. I felt the heaviness of it. 
We've looked at statements like, if you know me, you will keep my commands. Well, what if I don't always keep your commands? Been talking about that, haven't we? You cannot hate your brother and love me. He who is born of God does not sin. So you mean if I've sinned, I'm not born of God? He who loves is born of God. I don't want to leave you hanging on those statements because you may not have been here. The reality is this. Remember what John is dealing with through those, some of those things was this. Some of these... I'm not a golfer. Some of you guys golf. I went to the driving range one time in my life and the balls all come back to me as quick as they went out. It's the worst time of my life. I thought, why would anybody do this? So I never went back. But some people practice and practice and really become really good, right? You see, what John is saying is, John is saying, when you're born of God, you will not practice sin. You may fall in it, from time to time, you may even struggle with it. But you won't practice it. See the difference? See, we're not practicing to get good at sin. Man, we fall in it. We want out of it. When we struggle with it, we're trying to figure out how to get away from it. We're not trying to get better at it. We're trying to get out of it. God, I don't want to do this. From time to time, I fall that. So, and then you throw false teachers in the midst of those statements that we read through John. Not to receive them or greet them or you are guilty of the same. You, you, fall, you throw this false teaching in concerning man. Where's the unity? How do we, where do we break unity? Where do we not have unity? Where do we have fellowship? Where do we don't have fellowship? Man, it just seems heavy. And I think what seems heavy about it is it's almost like, how do I figure all this out? How do I do all this? It just seems like out of our control. What if I get it wrong? You've heard me say this statement, that I trust God, but I don't always trust me. Trust God, but I don't always trust me. When Jude says to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... Jude is saying to us that God's ability outruns ours. He is saying we cannot trust ourselves, but we can trust Him. And His, tr his trust trumps our ability. Think about these verses with me. They're going to be on the screen. Romans 14.4, think about this. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Watch this. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Jude said, God is able to do what? To keep you from stumbling. Romans says that God is able to what? To make you stand. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.10. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I am because of my gifting. I'm not what I am because of my talent. I'm not what I am because of my personality. I am what I am by the grace of God. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. I think Paul may have had a little pride right there. Just a little bit. I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I. It wasn't me that done it. And he called himself right here. Not, it wasn't I who done that, but the grace of God which was with me. Look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer, it's not I who lives, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look at Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter 1.5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at John 15.5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Look at Mark 1.17. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Would you notice those last two? Abide in me and you will bear fruit. Abide in me, it'll happen. That's what John's been saying all along. Look at this last one. Jesus is saying to them, he's not saying, listen, to follow me requires you to be a fisher of men. No, Jesus is saying, when you follow me, that's what you're going to become. It's going to happen automatically as you begin to follow me. This is what John has been saying. This is what Jude is finishing with. Because the word of God was shared with us. The atoning finished work of Christ for our salvation to escape hell and the punishment of God we deserved. We receive faith and we place that faith in the person and the work of Jesus and the spirit of God indwells us. And now a God who is able has us in his hands. He's not turning loose. He may place us on the anvil and beat us, but when he's done, we'll be sharper. He may place us on a spool and mold us, but when we're done, we'll be worth something. He may place us in a fire, and it may be hot, but when he's done, we'll be more pure. The fact is, though, He's with us and He's able to keep us from stumbling in false doctrine, to make us stand, to labor for Him, to live for Him, to complete us and to keep us in every circumstance and situation. Because of Him, because of Him in us, we will keep His commands. We will not hate our brother. We will not continue in sin. We will love and we will not stay in false teaching because Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us one day faultless to God. As we finish 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and as we finish Jude, this is what I want you to take home today. Sometimes it feels like, man... 
the preacher's preaching and he's talking, the word of God is speaking, and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And sometimes in the midst of all this, we will stop trusting the sovereignty of God and the ability of God to keep and to finish what he started in our lives. Trust him to finish. Trust him to keep. He is able. Jesus said it like this, and I'm finished. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That verse is salvation. Salvation. Come to him and I will give you rest. It's, it's free. It's here. Take it. Verse 29. Watch verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. This is the Christian life. This is the sanctification. What are we doing? In the first one, we're coming to Him because we labor and are heavy laden and we can't figure out how to get there, and He gives us rest. He saves us because we turn from ourselves and put our faith in Jesus Christ. But after we've done that, then we take our, His yoke upon us and we learn of Him. We learn that we can trust Him. We learn that He's able. We learn that He keeps us. And it is here that we find rest for our souls. It is here that we're not frustrated all the time. Am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? Am I messed up? Am I turned upside down? It's here that we find rest. Because He's saying, I'll do that for you he is able father thank you for this time remind us this morning of your sovereignty remind us this morning of your care for us remind us of your ability to make us stand and to keep us not only from stumbling into false doctrine but from stumbling away from the faith father we love you and we praise you in jesus name Amen.